0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, and we thank you that you've been speaking to us by your Spirit through your Word, as it's been read and sung uh, this evening. And We ask now, Lord, that you continue to speak to us as we consider this passage together. May your Spirit uh, enable me to uh, preach your Word rightly and faithfully and in his power. May your Spirit work in each of our hearts that we might respond rightly to Jesus, and that we might have the right expectations uh, of how life will be, uh, and therefore uh, to, uh, to live an appropriate way uh, in light of what he says. And so we ask for you to work among us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please be seated. And please could you keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 13. Uh, if you've lost it, it's okay. It's on page 1012. Page 1012. Mark chapter 13, and we, we are looking at those 13 verses uh, that was just read for us. If you're someone who likes to follow the sermon outline, that's there in the uh, middle section of the bulletin, the white bulletin you received as you came in, there's the outline of the sermon, uh, so you have that there as well. But most importantly, Mark 13. Clarifying expectations is very important, isn't it? Uh, I run a course called Bible Overview, uh, and one of the things I do with each new batch of students is to ask them for their expectations about the course, and we compare expectations so that we can be clear from the beginning what we can anticipate and can't anticipate so that there are no disappointments. Uh, When we do pre-marriage counseling, One of the things we always do is get the potential husband and wife to share expectations of their married life together. And then we help them give feedback to each other about those expectations to to see if they are realistic or not, so that they are able to actually understand what their partner anticipates in their marriage, as well as have the opportunity to share and modify their expectations if necessary. In the passage we're looking at today, Jesus helps his disciples understand what to expect for the time after his death and resurrection. And that helps us to see what to what for we should expect as we live in this world today. Now to understand this, let's consider the context of the passage that we're looking at. Remember, uh, we've been looking at this, uh, at this part of Mark's gospel for the last few weeks. Uh, We're in that last week of Jesus' earthly life. At the beginning of that week, in, in Mark 11, Jesus had entered in Jerusalem, acclaimed as king. And the first thing he did was to go into the temple, looks around, and then he goes off. And he comes back to that temple the next day. And when he comes back to the temple the next day, he clears the temple. He throws out the money changers and the merchants. And, 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 you know, on the way in, Mark records him cursing the fig tree. And then just after that, Mark records the next day seeing the fig tree withered, dead. And that's a visual parable, wasn't it, of what's going to happen to the temple. Jesus brings judgment upon the temple. And, well, what's going to happen? Over those next few days, we've seen Jesus clash with the religious leaders in the temple. They've asked him, by what authority is he doing these things? And he's shown from the Old Testament that he is God, come to his temple. And the connection with the was with the book of Malachi. And we've seen how uh, in the book of Malachi, uh, God comes to his temple and then what does he do? He pronounces judgment. The religious leaders of Israel in the temple, they keep rejecting him. They keep trying to find a way to trip him. Uh, And we've seen that conflict with them over those last few weeks. And now, in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus leaves the temple. He came out of the temple, it says, and he would never return again. And as Jesus is leaving the temple, one of the disciples says to him, Look, teacher. What wonderful stones! What wonderful buildings! But look how Jesus answers in verse 2. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What Jesus has said in a semi-veiled way in the past, he says absolutely clearly right here, this temple is going to be Destroyed. In the Old Testament, the temple was destroyed as part of God's judgment on his people Israel. And before that, the prophet Ezekiel had seen in a vision the glory of the Lord leaving the temple, making it ripe for destruction. And in Ezekiel's vision, when the glory of the Lord left the temple, it went and stood on the mountain east of the city. The mountain that would later be called the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus, God, made flesh, he leaves the temple in verse 3, he goes to the very same place, that Mount of Olives, to pronounce judgment upon it. And he sits there as a teacher, and four of his disciples come to him, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they have a private question for him. They ask in verse 4, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished?" You see what they're asking? When's this going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? And what's the sign that we will see to know that this is about to happen? Well, Jesus answers them. And he does so in four parts that covers the rest of the chapter. Let me just give you a brief overview of the parts before zooming down on one of them. That first part, which is actually the part we're looking at today, he tells them the kind of things that should not alarm them. And that's in verse 5 to 13. He tells them the kind of things that they should generally expect after his death and resurrection. Remember he's about to go to the cross. What's going to be like what's life going to be like after this? Well, he tells them But these are things that they shouldn't be alarmed about. They shouldn't think that this means the temple is about to be destroyed. Not quite yet. Ah, and then he goes on to 14 to 23. There he talks about the destruction. And there in verse 14, he tells them the sign that it's about to take place. And we'll see next week what it is. And when that happens, then he says, then's the time to flee, to run away, to get out. And then he makes particular warnings about what would happen in those days. And then in the third part, in verse 24 to 27, he goes to the next thing on the agenda. What would happen after that? And the next thing on the agenda after that destruction of Jerusalem would be his second coming. He will come in power and great glory and gather his people from around the world. And then finally... In verse 28 to 37, he looks back on the things that he's taught. He draws warnings and encouragements for his disciples and for us. He says that the destruction of that temple, all those things that that lead up, but not including that second coming, would happen within the generation. And once that happened, Jesus would be ready to return. And so Jesus says to his disciples, as he says to us, Be ready for that to happen. So that's the big picture of chapter 13. Today we zoom in on verses 3 to 13. The part where he tells his disciples the things that shouldn't alarm them. Things that are not signs that the judgment is about to happen, but just things that they should expect. He says at the end of verse 7, these must take place, but the end is not yet. This is what he says in verse 8. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. So what are those things? Well, firstly, there will be false messiahs. In verse 4 and 5, sorry, verse 5 and 6, he says, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. The disciples were to expect to see people coming along, making big claims about themselves and their authority, saying they're from God, and then people will follow. People will believe them. But he says, you don't listen to them. You don't get led astray. False messiahs will appear. And then secondly, there'll be, there'll be conflicts and wars and natural disasters. Verse 7 and 8. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And so you see wars. You see rumors of wars. Potential conflicts. They're to expect earthquakes. They're to expect famine. All kinds of natural disasters. But it doesn't mean it's about to happen. That's just things that are going to happen. And also, with that, they should expect persecution. Verse 9, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, you'll be beaten in synagogues, you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. They do expect to be hauled out to court. They expect to be called to account for their actions in proclaiming Christ. But the other thing that will happen at the same time as believers are brought to trial is in verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now the gospel is that message that that Jesus is king, that that he died for our sins in our place, that he rose again. And the gospel declares that those who repent and believe in Jesus can have forgiveness and be accepted into his eternal kingdom. And this gospel, Jesus says, will go to all nations. The word nations there is Gentiles. It will be proclaimed among the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so Jesus clearly and explicitly anticipates the gospel going beyond Israel to the Gentile people going out of just the Jews but to the rest of the world before the temple is destroyed. And so on the one hand, there's a warning of persecution. On the other hand, the encouragement of gospel growth. And when persecution happens, what should Jesus' disciples do? Verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you will say, but say what is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You can imagine Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, when Jesus says they're going to face the trials. and Wow, be very scary, isn't it? But Jesus says, don't be anxious. The Spirit will help you. He will guide you. He will speak through you as you, as you suffer for me, as you stand trial for me. So don't worry. And it's not just these apostles who will suffer. Ordinary believers will, will be betrayed by, by people whom they think they can trust. In verse 12, he says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Isn't that terrible? Well, oh, Jesus faced something like that, didn't he? He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. But it's not just in the family. Followers of Jesus will be very unpopular in general. Verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's what they were to expect. That's Again, that's pretty awful. No one likes to be hated. And when you're hated by everyone, then sometimes you have to question your choices. And when this happens, you're tempted to give up. And Jesus' disciples would be tempted to to throw in the towel, to say, it's all too hard. I'd rather be on the right side of the law, on the right side of my family, on the right side of society. and, And so I'll give up on following Jesus. But Jesus says at the end of verse 13, But the one who endures to the end will be saved the one who endures to the end, the one who keeps on trusting in Jesus despite persecution, despite pressure, they are the ones who are rescued by God in the end. It's not enough just to say, I believe at the beginning. Anyone can say, I believe, when it's convenient to do so. When persecution like this comes, we see who truly believes. And the ones who truly believe are the ones who endure To the end, and the ones who endure to the end are the ones who are saved when God's judgment comes on the world. So, what did happen after Jesus' death and resurrection? Was Jesus right with these things that he said? Well, yes, of course he was, wasn't he? The temple was destroyed in the year AD 70. Just under 40 years after this, within that generation. And what about the things that Jesus told his disciples to expect? Uh, did they happen in their time? Well, well, yes, they did. We have examples of false messiahs. We, early Christian writers point to Simon Magus, we meet in Acts 8, as, as one of them. There was someone called Dosithius, who claimed to be the messiah. The Jewish historian Josephus says imposter messiahs were arrested all the time by the Romans. False messiahs. What about wars and conflicts? Oh, yes. In that period of time, there were all kinds of conflicts. There was an uprising in Alexandria which killed 50,000 Jews. 10,000 were massacred in Damascus. 50,000 in Seleucia. 20,000 Jews died in the Battle of Caesarea. Tacitus, the Roman historian, describes this period with phrases like disturbances in Germany, commotions in Africa, insurrections in Gaul, intrigues among the Parthians, and war in Britain. In one 18-month period, there were four different Roman emperors. Conflict and war? Yes, yes there was. What about natural disasters? Well, there was that great famine that the book of Acts talks about, wasn't there? And the Roman historians speak of at least three more. An earthquake is mentioned in Acts 16, but earthquakes were also reported in Crete, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Apamea, Cappenia, Rome, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae, between the time of Jesus and the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. What about persecution? Well, again, we see that happening right through the book of Acts, don't we? Over and over again, we see the apostles standing on trial for their witness. One example was in our New Testament reading today. And we know from later on that, that all the apostles, except, uh, except for one, were, were killed for their faith, and the other one was, was exiled on the island of Patmos. What about the gospel being, being proclaimed to the Gentiles, to the nations? Oh, yes, the gospel did go out to the Gentiles, didn't it? Uh, we see in the book of Acts, initially the church just kept it to the Jews and then God had to act to, to, to break through those barriers and, and get that gospel out to the Gentiles. And then we see it spreading among the Gentiles as God uh, appoints the apostle Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. And in Romans 15, 18, Paul, that apostle to the Gentiles, could report that he had fulfilled his ministry from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. In other words, the gospel had gone out throughout that known region. And so way before AD 70, he could write to the Colossians and say he was bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. The gospel had spread through that Roman Empire before the fall of Jerusalem, when the temple was destroyed. The prophecy of Jesus was right. All these things happened in that time before God poured out his wrath on the temple. But remember, those things are not just, they're not the sign that the temple is about to be destroyed. They're not the sign that Jesus is about to come. They're the kind of things that would happen after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The kind of things that would happen before the fall of Jerusalem. They weren't meant to alarm the disciples that it was imminent. It was just happening in that whole time. But you know, many people, when they read this passage today, they go, ah, this means Jesus is about to return. We've got to be careful here because on the one hand, as we, see, as we shall see next week, Jesus is about to return. The sign that he gives has already happened, which is the fall of Jerusalem. But that's not what it's talking about here. Here are the things that generally happen that will happen in that whole time, leading up to that destruction of Jerusalem. But then, are they just of historical interest? No. Because the judgment against Israel is a, a shadow, a picture, a model of that, of that bigger judgment to come. The judgment that, that Jesus will bring when he comes in. And, and just as these things were happening between Jesus' death and resurrection and the destruction of the temple, these, these are the things that will still keep happening until that second coming. And these are the things that keep on happening after Jesus' death and resurrection. And we keep on seeing them right throughout history. False messiahs, people who claim to be Christ or prophets of God and and yet are not. We've seen them down through the ages, haven't we? In the 2nd century AD, a, a Jewish rebel named Simon Bar Kokhba claimed to be the Messiah. We have Joseph Smith in 19th century America. Who founded the Mormons or latter-day saints by claiming to be a prophet? In the 20th century, we have Sun Myung Moon in Korea who founded the Moonies, who claimed to be the Messiah. And there was Sai Baba in India who claimed to be the cosmic Christ, though not Jesus himself. And of course, there was Jim Jones in America who claimed, among other things, to be a reincarnation of Jesus and then poisoned all his followers. They'll keep on coming. We're just waiting for the next one. It, it happens. This is what will happen. This is what we are to expect to happen. But Jesus says, don't let anyone lead you astray. And then there's conflicts and natural disasters. Again, people say, oh, look at all these wars, all these earthquakes. Must mean Jesus is coming back. Well, he may be, but you can't tell from that. Somewhere in the world, there's always a war. Famines and earthquakes will keep on happening. In spite of scientific advances, they're going to keep happen. Doesn't necessarily mean that the end is here. And believers will be persecuted. Well, yes, it's always been like that. Ever since eighty seventy 70 to now, Christians are still being persecuted. They were persecuted in ancient Rome. 20,000 Christians are thought to have died during the reign of Emperor Diocletian. More than 1,000 Christians martyred under Shapur II in 341 in Persia. In Sudan, more than 1.5 million Christians killed by Arab militia. It's estimated that 20 million Christians died or were incarcerated in the Communist Soviet Union. And we haven't even started talking about Communist China, Nazi Germany, medieval Japan, modern Pakistan, the Ottoman Empire. In the 16th century, half the population of Iraq was Christian. And persecution reduced that to a handful. And even those are being so threatened and killed and driven away. And we see the same thing in Syria, where Christians are being killed or driven out by ISIS. Persecution, even unto death itself, is is as rife today as any time in church history. And even in the West, Christians are beginning to be persecuted as as the spirit, Standards of society change into a, into a new form of paganism and, and Christian values are seen to be intolerable. And some will give up on the faith and, and move with society. I can see on Facebook how some of the people who are my Christian friends at university in Australia have, have now moved with society uh, to support the things that are rejected by the scriptures and in doing so denied the faith. It, it's happening. But those who persevere to the end will be saved. And yet in the midst of this, the gospel is going out. Yes, it's been going out in all the nations, AD 70. Gentiles had received the gospel message, but it's now still going out into all the world. More and more people groups are being reached with the gospel. The percentage of people who who call themselves Christian has grown incredibly over the past 150 years, so that more than one-third of the world's population would identify themselves now as Christian. And the gospel continues to go out until people from every tribe and language and nation come to bow before Jesus and find salvation in the one who died for them. So, friends, what do we learn for ourselves from this passage? Well... We've seen very clearly what to expect at this time, the time after Jesus' death and resurrection and before the judgment is complete, so we can live in light of those expectations. We know there are going to be false messiahs, so expect it. If anyone claims to be Jesus Christ, do not believe them. When Jesus comes, eventually he will bring in the final judgment, the resurrection of the dead, and the new creation. You'll see that anything less than that is not Jesus. Do not be fooled. Do not be led astray. Test all claims that people have by God's word, the Bible. Many will be led astray. Do not be one of them. We know there are going to be conflicts and wars. It is good to work for peace. It is right to pray for peace. It is a good thing, but know realistically that we will not achieve peace on earth until Jesus comes again. Don't panic when you hear wars and rumors of wars. That is life in the fallen world that's awaiting judgment and salvation. We should expect that. And we know there is going to be famine and natural disasters. It is good to pray for relief. It is good to work for relief. It is good to ha- do things that, that prevent the, 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 the calamities. But relief will always be needed because earthquakes and famines will still happen until Jesus returns. And we know that there will be persecution. That is normal. We are to expect it. We are to adjust our expectations to say persecution is Normal. We may be unpopular, we may be hated, we may be arrested, we may be killed. Those are all possibilities that we must learn to live with. Persecution is an expected part of the Christian life between Jesus' first and second coming. And with persecution comes apostasy. Do not be surprised when you see people leaving Christ. Do not be surprised when you see people falling away, when their faith is tested with unpopularity and persecution. It will happen, just don't let it be you. Because if you and I don't persevere, then we will not be saved. If you and I don't keep on believing in King Jesus, then we will not have the benefits of his death. We will face judgment day on our own. And that is far scarier than wars and earthquakes and famines and persecutions. For that involves the eternal wrath of God. Whatever you do, cling to Jesus. Keep trusting in him. Being one of his people now doesn't make you immune from all these problems that this world will face that we are to expect. But it does mean he will bring us to eternal life and glory forever. And finally, expect to see the gospel going out into all the world. That's the exciting part, isn't it? So make sure you're part of it. Tell people they can be saved through Jesus. For the Lord Jesus who is coming back to judge the world is the one who has loved us so much that he himself has taken our punishment for us on the cross And he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who will trust in him as their king and their savior. So let's work hard to see the gospel proclaimed among the people that we know, among our family, among our friends. Let's think of ways we can be doing that. Whether it's by sharing with them ourselves or by giving them a book, pointing them to a website or inviting them to the God who is there or the next guest night. And let's keep on working together as a church to take the gospel not only to the people that we know, but but across cultural barriers among the nations. We're already working to evangelize and disciple Nepali people, uh, to support existing Myanmar Chin believers, to bring the gospel to the Orang Asli. Well, let's keep doing that and let's pray about the future, how we can take this message to people groups who, who haven't even heard it at all, maybe overseas. So friends, as we live in this world, what do we, do we expect? Jesus has given us our expectations. Expect imposters, false religious teachers. Expect conflicts and wars and natural disasters. Expect persecutions and expect the gospel to go out into all the nations. And in the midst of all these things, keep trusting in Jesus to the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus has given us these words so we know what to expect as we live in this troubled and broken world. We pray that you help us to be realistic and to accept these expectations and to to adjust our expectations. Thank you that as we face false claims of authority and false messiahs, as we face troubles and persecutions, as we face natural disasters, Thank you that as we face all those things that you are with us, that we know that your love surrounds us. And we thank you that you have also promised that the gospel will continue to go out into all the nations. Give us, we pray, a part in this, in this great endeavor. And most of all, we pray that in the midst of all these things, that you will keep us faithful, faithful to the very end, so that on that last day, we will be found trusting in your Son, and so be saved by him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.